That the, reminds me of like golf tournaments. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, yeah, he's here, approaching the here green. Here he goes, and he's going to hit the ball with this, the, the, the ball nine, stick. The nine the, iron. The ball stick is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. It's a nine iron. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Learn your ball stick's no, names. No, please. I can't go back to the 7-Eleven, please. <laughs> Nobody could hear me there. I talk so softly. This is the loudest my voice goes, please. (laughs) We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. (laughs) It's mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we're so glad you're with us today. We are indeed, as always. We are. We had to kind of shake ourselves around a little bit to prepare. <laughs> Mom just made the scariest okay. face ever at me in my direction. Her mouth was open very wide. <laughs> She had I more teeth than stretching usual. my <laughs> facial muscles to prepare to articulate. It was very good. Clearly, you did it very well. Thank you very much. And are articulating very well. <sighs> I went to higher education to learn how to articulate. <laughs> no, you did not. Oh, well, it was communications. Yeah, one of my oh, one of sure. my undergrad degrees. I learned how to articulate <laughs> and to and say. Look at you now. And to say just. Instead of just. Oh. But now I notice when I listen to the podcast, which I do because I want to see how just, we are, you just, know. Just, yeah. I hear just a yeah. lot and I'm appalled. I just. I'm <laughs> appalled by it. Just. Whatever. Just. That That's sounds. A, just. Sounds very rich of you. Just. We, we ain't got time for that <laughs> articulation. We got things to do. How are you, banana? I'm good, mommy. Thank you for asking. As if we haven't spent the last three hours together. <laughs> This is very polite of you. How I would you? teach you to be polite if nothing else. I didn't else. hassle you about this last week. Oh, no. Because when we recorded last week, we had just finished a and d session. Yes, we did. That I strong-armed you into playing. Yes, you did. Can you, can you speak to that on the <laughs> podcast so I have record of it? I was DMing for the record. Yes. Well, for the record... I, I mean, I don't have no experience whatsoever, but I would say my daughter is probably the best DM in the whole world. Patently untrue. Thank you, She Mom. is the best at everything she does, but it was really, it was entertaining. It was good. It was outside of my comfort zone. It was. I wanted to push you outside of your comfort zone. Yes. She's playing a tiefling bard, if there's any D&D Which listeners out means there. nothing even to me, and I'm playing it, so Yeah. I'm basically going in this thing totally blind. It's fun. It's fun. But Anna Banana really likes this. She rolled a lot of critical hits and killed a lot of monsters. (laughs) You did really good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Beginner's luck, baby. Beginner's luck. It'll wear off. Don't worry. Nah, you just have the golden touch. You'll see me get like 
whatever happens in D&D land that's not good. <laughs> You'll see it happen to me. It's up to me because I'm the DM. <laughs> you make the rules? Yay! You make the rules. <laughs> okay, so that great news is followed up with some sad news. Oh, no. Podcoin is closing. I know. What's up with that? Dude, what's going know. on? I don't know. But if you've been listening for a while, you would have heard our kind of endorsements of Podcoin. It was mm-hmm. a service that you could like, while you listened, you racked up points that you could like cash in for gift cards or give to charity. And they're closing and we're not sure why. Hmm. Um, they, they kind of implied like, well, this was just a thing we were trying and it didn't really work. Probably too many people were demanding, Get or cards. you know, we're getting in there and <laughs> we're just getting too many Starbucks cards. Because a lot, out of this. a lot of people listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's true. So yeah, it's true. I don't know, but so if you ever, if you're kind of just starting to listen, if you're one of those people who listens backwards, mm. which I never understand, <laughs> but if you, if you listen backwards, you're going to find some archaic uh, Podcoin advertisements in the middle of our episodes. Mm. It'll be weird for you. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's not. Not applicable Not anymore. a thing. Sorry. We weren't in charge. We weren't. Or it would still be going. Our, uh... Because we would be sure of it. Because yes. we are a little OCD and perfectionist. So, yeah. Yes. We would have found a way <laughs> to fight through whatever it is that caused them to not do it anymore. So. And will you peer pressure the listeners about uh, merchant reviews? For <gasps> we would love to have you check out our merch. So go to our website and look at all the cool t-shirts and the hoodies. You know, fall weather is around the corner for those of us who are living in areas where we have fall weather. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of us. If you're on a beach somewhere, well, you know, sometimes on the beach even you need a hoodie. It's true. But they're also really cool t-shirts and little exercise shirts and mugs. Really cool mugs. There's a pillow. Yeah, lots of cool merch. So if you go to FreudianSipsPod.com, there's a merch link on the very first page. I think that's the easiest way to find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we would love for you to try out some of our merch and wear it around and let other people know that you listen to Freudian Sips because that's a big deal. Just wear it around, strike a pose, and then Mm -hmm. be like, Mm -hmm. do you notice my sweatshirt? Do (laughs) Do you like it? And then they'll be like, yeah, what, what is it? And you'll be like, it's a podcast. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> That's exactly how you should say it. <laughs> and if you would like to have a sticker free, free, free of charge, free, free, all free. you have to do is do a review. Wherever you listen. Wherever, wherever you, you can listen? do a review. Really? Okay. Wherever well, you can do a review. We kind of, we spout iTunes or Apple Podcasts as they are now called. They're rebranding. But that's kind of the main place that reviews matter. So if you do that there, then it is the best. They're calling it something different now. I just learned. I just learned iTunes. <laughs> just now learned changing iTunes. it. Whenever uh-huh. you learn the new one, they're going to be like they're Bonnie change knows it. it, so we have oh, to no. change it now. Run from Bonnie. <laughs> so when you do a review, then then like take a little screenshot of it. Is that how you do it? And then you email it to. FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Okay. And then we will send you a free sticker. You free? have to, you email us that picture and you like give us your address. Because if you don't give us your address, we don't know who to mail it to. Yep. So we'll mail please it do. Just to someone. Right. Well, Kogan, we'll get a sticker. <laughs> we'll be like, you're welcome. <laughs> He'll be so excited. He's so excited. I know how Hulk is. He's very excited <laughs> about those things. Here's your so. sticker, brother. We always love your reviews anyway, but now we're going to reward you if you give us your address. So. Yes. All right. 
I think that's all the... Shall we begin? Shall we begin? Mom, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to talk about Virginia Satir. Every every few episodes, we do... A people. Kind of a people episode. So today's a people episode, and we thought it was time to do a woman people. That's exactly... Yes, we we wanted to do a lady. Yes, a lady. Virginia Satir is... Probably a name that you don't know unless you're in the psychology community, even even mm-hmm. then. Uh, she is the mother of family therapy. So we're going to be talking about family therapy this episode. Yeah. Which is fun. It's not something we've done much of a foray into mm-hmm. on the podcast yet. So Virginia. Virginia. Can I tell you about Virginia's life? Tell us about Virginia's life, would you, Anna? I will. Okay. So Virginia was born on the 26th of June, 1916 in Nielsville, Wisconsin. So spoiler alert. Wisconsin. This story does not include a part where the Nazis make the theorists flee <laughs> the country and come to America, which every other theorist we've talked to has. At some point, it's like, and then the Nazis. Nazis. Like every single time. So she does not have this. Thank goodness. She Thank goodness started. Wisconsin did not have the Nazi threat. No. We're I mean, good. they probably have them now. <laughs> I hope not. They're coming yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> if Let's you know not. a Nazi, Let's don't not. talk to them. So she was the eldest of five kids. She was born to Oscar Alfred Reinhard Pagenkopf and wow. Minnie Happe Pagenkopf, which are Wisconsin names, apparently. <laughs> They're what? very German, aren't they? Are, is it? Kopf, I guess. Kopf. They're in Wisconsin. It's probably German. Yeah. So when Virginia was five, she developed appendicitis. Oh my. But since her mother was a devout Christian scientist, she did not take her to the doctor. Uh oh. Let's talk about Christian science for a second, because I don't know if that is something that is commonplace knowledge for most, Mm -hmm. most people. I could talk about this for a while. I'll try to be brief. It could be a tangent. But the main thing to know about Christian science is that they're not scientists. They believe in, I guess, the nothingness of matter is a way that I've seen it described. And as a result, that illnesses are an illusion, that illnesses are not a real thing because our physical matter is not a real thing, and that illnesses can be solved with prayer alone. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Christian scientist, you don't believe in going to a doctor and getting physical help. Mm-hmm. By the time Virginia's dad, who was not a Christian scientist, overruled her mom, Virginia's appendix had already burst. Oh my goodness. So doctors were able to save her life, but Virginia had to be in the hospital for several months. So that was kind of a traumatic time. But Virginia was just a curious, like a smart child. She taught herself to read by the age of three. And by oh. nine, she had read all the books in the little library in her one-room schoolhouse. Aww. Isn't that cute? Fun note. One room school links to its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> Does that not like explain itself? <laughs> one room school. Let's break it down. It's a school <laughs> and it has one room. But I would think that like maybe some of the younger generations don't really even get I that think ever it was happened. Real. Yeah. yeah. That really happened? I also read in a few places that between the ages of four and six, Virginia suffered from profound hearing loss. Due to mastoiditis. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what my mom had when she was little. What is it? I don't know. I just know it's a really, really bad infection. And mastoid is like your jaw. Yeah. And so you get a really bad ear. Really bad infection in that area of your face and jaw. And you, I mean, mom almost lost her hearing and was sick for a long time. I mean, hers came back. Her hearing came back. Uh huh. So did mom's. 
Interesting. But it's like an infection that interferes. But if it goes wrong, then you can lose your hearing. Right. Yeah. Right. But in, in those days, you know, you yeah. wouldn't just go to the doctor because you had an earache or whatever. Right. You know, it would get really bad and... But because of this, she learned how to read lips very quickly. She also got really good at deciphering nonverbal communication. Oh, that's interesting. You kind of have to yeah. when you can't mm-hmm. hear. So I, I think that's, and again, I always say this whenever we do, we do a people episode, that that's the kind of reason that I like to do the biography section. I agree, because that completely sets the stage for who yeah, she is Yeah, it gives later. context right. to her later theories. Exactly. I mean, we can just do an episode and talk about a person's theories, but if we know where they came from, we know how those theories developed, and it gives us a better sense of why they developed the way they did. Right. That's totally cool. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. And when she was five, Virginia decided she would be a quote a children's detective on parents unquote <laughs> which she explained I like that actually I know I like it too uh which she explained with thus another quote I didn't quite know what I would look for but I realized a lot went on in families that didn't meet the eye unquote mm. now this is a five-year-old yeah I don't know if she I think she was describing that okay. later okay. but like <laughs> Mom, are you a keen listener? Do you know what I said just happened when she was five? Yeah, when she was sick. Yeah. So, so a lot was going on. A lot was going especially in her family. Her oh my parents. gosh, yeah, because mom was not wanting and her dad to dad had to like overrule yeah. her. I, that to sure. me says a lot about like where she got her ideas on family dynamics. Exactly. So that was when she was five. She said she wanted to be a Detective on parents. <laughs> Detective on parents. <laughs> Which sounds like a great kids show, She right? was apparently extremely smart. Oh, she yeah. She was very smart. Yeah. Okay. So when she was 13, uh, this was 1929, her mom insisted that they move from their farm to Milwaukee, a bigger city, mm-hmm. so uh, Virginia could go to high school. This was during the Great Depression, though, so Virginia got a part-time job while also taking extra classes so she could graduate early. <laughs> this is where she started to really remind me of you. She was just very, she always had several jobs and she was like working really hard. <laughs> she reminds you. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be funny later when we're talking about some other oh, things. Oh, no. On. <laughs> okay. So she did graduate early, and after high school, she immediately started at Milwaukee State Teachers College. She had three part time jobs to pay for school. She worked as a teacher for six years after graduation, actually. Wow. And she was taking classes in the summers to do higher education. She eventually went back to school full time, and by 1948, she had completed her thesis for her master's. Good job, Virginia. We're so proud of you. So she like knew what she wanted and she did it. Uh, she just went for she, it. Like, she like took charge like, of her life. She took life by the balls Absolutely. constantly. Like, which I respect. Me too. I like that. Some personal side notes for Virginia's life. In 1941, <laughs> she met a soldier at a bus station. Uh-oh. And married him within three weeks. Wow. Girl. <laughs> he was a good three weeks. looking soldier, apparently. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> He left for Europe in World War II. I mean, that was 1941. How old was she? Does it say? Uh, when was she born? Let's do some math. Uh, she was 13 in 1929. So 1941, she would have been 25. Okay. She met a soldier and married him in three weeks. Okay. <laughs> Which, who hasn't when we're 25, right? <laughs> Go, girl. <laughs> uh, he left for Europe in World War II, and he returned after the war. And by then, Virginia had adopted two children. Whoop. Just. (laughs) 
She knew what she wanted and oh she did God. it. She just well, did it. I, this baffles me. Adoption is hard enough even now. This was 1941. Could she just adopt two children? Was it? Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. She could just she just went to an orphanage and was oh, like, Oh, yeah. These two. I want those two. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's how it was then. But that's like one of those things that like her husband came home and was surprised. Oh, we have two kids now. Yeah. <laughs> I, Did what? I do that? <laughs> these aren't. These are mine. They don't look like These me. aren't. These kids are 13 years old. What's happening? Like, I, I honestly don't know how old they were. But I, can you imagine coming home and your spouse has adopted two kids without your consent? <laughs> That's bonkers. Virginia. Or ballsy. She so, was ballsy. It was bonkers and ballsy. Bonksy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use that word from now on. For the rest of my life, I want to use that word. You're bonksy too, Mom. Thanks. You're That's welcome. what I want. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, he was like, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to have children. Thanks, they divorced anyway. in 1949. Aww. And then in 1951, she married a psychiatrist, Norman Satir, who gave her the name we know her by now. Okay, so. Good for her. That was side personal side note. And then after graduating a social work school, that's what the internet called it. This, that's social not, work school. Social work school. <laughs> I, I went to means. social work school. I assume that means master's degree. I mean, that's kind of her highest. I would ma- assume. Her highest degree yeah. that she earned. Social work school. <laughs> sure. Uh, she began in private practice after that. In 1951, she saw her first family. And by 1955, she was working with the Illinois Psychiatric Institute and was encouraging counselors to focus on families instead of just individuals. Mm-hmm. And she was a pioneer in this regard. Like, Absolutely. That was not a thing that was happening before that. Absolutely. So by the end of the 50s, she had moved to California, where she co-founded the Mental Research Institute, which is MRI, which is already confusing. a thing. <laughs> We can't use that. It's already used. <laughs> already a thing. In 1962, Although, MRI- was that before the real the MRI we oh, talk I don't about? Know. That's a good mm, point. Maybe I she wonder- had it first. <laughs> they stole it from her. <laughs> so in 1962, MRI received a grant from NIM, which is N I M H, which I'm going to explain. And let's I'm going to just do letters let's from now on. All for everything, baby. I'm actually going to explain this specifically for Lori. <laughs> My, my dear mama-in-law, the most pointed criticism I've ever gotten about this show is, mm-hmm. you guys use a lot of acronyms, and I don't know what half of them oh. mean. <laughs> so apparently we're, we forget to explain them Okay, sometimes. so Laura, here comes one. NIM is the National Institute of Mental Health. Ah, there we so go. they gave a grant to MRI, the Mental Research Institute, and this grant allowed MRI to begin the first family therapy training program ever. Wow. Ever offered. That's amazing. That's really cool. Uh, Virginia obviously was the training director at this program. And this may be verging into your territory, mom, so stop me if I'm going too far. But one of her most novel ideas was that the surface problem was not the actual problem, but rather how the people cope with whatever the situation is. Exactly. That was kind of the basis of this family mm-hmm. training program. Mm-hmm. And one of her other main things was networking and just kind of the idea of counselors coming together to share knowledge. So she founded two groups. In 1970, she founded a group called Beautiful People. <laughs> that is so her. She's so hippy-dippy. That's so her. <laughs> While you're listening to this, like, I want you to pause this episode 
And if you're around somewhere where you can get YouTube. Oh, man. Just search Virginia Satir. Just look at her. S-A-T-I-R. Virginia Satir. Search it in YouTube. Watch some of her videos. She is such a hippie. She uh-huh. she like touches. She gets in people's personal spaces very much. <laughs> she is like your old grandma who you're like, oh please don't, oh don't get all don't up pinch in my, my cheeks again. Oh please stop touching my arm. Your hands all clammy. <laughs> like she's she's very like I like her, but I also like would not want to be within three feet of her. Mm-hmm. To get some context, go watch a video. It's it's very entertaining. You'll have a whole new light on her if yes. you've seen her. And really. that will make so much sense as to why she called one of her groups beautiful people. Yes. This eventually got changed to the International Human Learning Resources Network, which is not nearly as good a name. <laughs> it's so clinical. So I clinical. Know. Why can't they just be Why can't we be people? beautiful people? I know. In 1977, she founded the Avanta Network, which eventually became known as the Virginia Satir Global Network in 2010, which is a much better name. Hmm. So, okay. Name it. goes both ways. <laughs> Virginia was highly decorated. Uh, she had a lot of honorary doctorates, including from the college she graduated from, so which is now the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And she was it's a member... It's not the social worker school. <laughs> it's social work school. <laughs> She was a member of a lot of boards, a lot of associations. Uh, She had a lot of awards. So many that I'm not going to list them. She's a busy girl. She was a busy girl. She did a lot. In general, she was just super prolific. She was super influential. In the mid-1970s, her work was studied by the founders of neuro-linguistic programming, which we will probably do an entire episode on. And it became one of the three fundamental models of NLP. So so she, I mean, just her, her work is everywhere. I mean, like, even if you're not in the psychology world, mm-hmm. you've probably heard of one of her ideas. Exactly. They're just really, really abundant. She was influential in the development of the Pairs Relationship Education Program, and she was a chairperson for the Pairs Foundation. Obviously, she was a chairperson for everything. everything. She was on all the chairs. <laughs> all the chairs were hers. Uh, she wrote a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Her most famous ones are Conjoint Family Therapy in 1964, People Making in 1972, <laughs> and The New, the new People, people Making <laughs> in 1988. Because sure the way you make people changed between the 70s and the 80s. I guess. Uh, I'm sure this has a legit psychological meaning that you'll elaborate on, but it seems very Frankenstein-y, right? Like, people making. we're going to make a people. We're going to do it. You have to get an arm. You have to get a leg. <laughs> Unfortunately, The New People Making was her last book before she passed away at the age of 72 of pancreatic cancer on mm. September 10th, 1988. That was way too young for her to it go. It was. It was. And pancreatic cancer is just, I mean. That's a bad that's one. That's horrible. But she was definitely a person who burnt the candle at both ends. She, she sure did. She packed a lot into her 72 years. Yeah, I was going to say, she probably accomplished way more oh, in, in 70 years she, than most of us do in 100. So. Yeah, yeah. She was, she did a lot. So, Mom, mm-hmm. can you tell us about some of the a lot things she did? I will. Please can do. I start with a quote from her, though? Please. Because a big part of Virginia Satir's theory is, I mean, basically, her theory is humanistic which Anna and I have talked about several times on the podcast. We've talked about that we are humanistic. We are humanistic right. So when Anna referred earlier and said she kind of reminds me of you in this I I have to say that as I read her theories and and we when we did study them in school and stuff it's like this is totally me. I mean I 
I agree with so many things. I have to say that when I watched the YouTube video stuff, I thought, <laughs> a little eh, much. I wouldn't get it's quite, a little I mean, much. I'm kind of a touchy person. I do like to touch, you know, you and like. consent and she yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yeah. She just kind of goes like, for gets, it. Gets in your space. So Can I open this wine? Let me give you a quote while Anna is doing a corkscrew thing, okay. which, wait. It's going to be a pop. Okay. Is it going to be a pop? Is it actually going to be a pop or is it going to be like a, here it comes. You hold it. Ooh! <laughs> that, that was such a good pop. That was a very good pop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now she takes a chug out of the bottle just to test it. To test. Why are you it's... calling me on my? <laughs> I'm doing play by play because they can't see it. Okay, let me give you a quote from her that I, I think is important and it'll make sense after I do it. So she says, quote, My personal ideas and understanding of spirituality began with, began with my own experience as a child growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, which okay. Anna referred to. Yes. Everywhere I saw growing things. Very early I understood that growth was life force revealing itself, a manifestation of spirit. It is the realization that we are spiritual beings in human form. This is the essence of spirituality. The challenge of becoming more fully human is to be open to and to contact that power that we call by many names, God being one frequently used. I believe that successfully living depends on our making and accepting a relationship to our own life force. That's a quote from her book, The New People Making. That was a large quote. That was a large quote. <laughs> but I think it, I, it, it's really important, I think, that we understand that for Virginia, she was a very spiritual person. Yeah. And so some of that closeness that we see when we watch those videos is that she believed that we were all connected right and this is kind of referenced back to what do we talk about carl young carl young which is episode four if you're interested in that but carl Mm -hmm. young had this idea that like everyone from their ancestry is connected in terms of like what we inherit and what culture and the world has in common it's it's very spirit of life sort of stuff Right. But this sounds a lot like that. Yeah. So I think that part of the reason that she would get so close to her clients and to people she's talking with is that she does believe in that kind of, that we're all connected. She's like, we are one. We are one. (laughs) We are going to become one physically. She would. So I have total respect for Satya. We're not exaggerating. She would stand like six inches away from these people. She would like breathe into your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But see, if she leaned forward, you could kiss her gently on the nose. So it sounds like we're really making fun of her, but I personally... I make fun of everyone I, think I love, she's a, and I love her. I mean, her. you make fun of me, and I know you love me, uh, yeah. so yeah. Like so, I said, she reminds me of you, so it'd only be fair. <laughs> if I had those big 1980s glasses... We could make it happen. I would totally be her. I would totally <laughs> be her. And some grosser clothes. <laughs> some square clothes. <laughs> some very dairy farm clothes, <laughs> if I may say so. Don't want to diss any of the dairy farmers who no, dairy happen farmers to be listening are very to her. important. They are important. And my husband was from Wisconsin, so I don't want to diss anyone Wisconsin from Wisconsin. Is important. I love Wisconsinites. So um, Virginia Satir, basically, uh, her theory is called the Satir Transformational Systemic Therapy. So here's another one of those acronyms for Lori. S T S T. Right. S T S T. Terrible acronym. <laughs> 
It's also known as the Satir method, if that makes it a little bit There's easier. There's like eight names. There really are. It gets a little confusing if you actually do go onto the internet and try to look up her theories. Right. It's like, which one is really her? When we first decided, we remembered Satir as a name first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as we were doing our research, I was like, I, I guess she does this kind. And I said a name. And mom was like, I saw this kind. And right. that is a name I had seen elsewhere. Like, it's very confusing usually theorists have like a thing that they stick right. to she, she was widely she was all over the board yeah she really was so one of her big things was basically that individual counseling often leads you to the point where you need to do family counseling because perhaps the issues that the individual is having is really rooted in family which mm-hmm. anna you and i both i think can relate to this in i so feel that when we see children yeah especially like we go into schools because we each do that in our jobs mm-hmm. we go into schools and see children and we work with the children and we do what we can with them with coping skills and stuff but honestly you honestly can't do much oh, it is so frustrating as a yeah. counselor because especially when you're a kid, I mean, we all want agency as a kid, but you don't have much. Really, right. who you are is dependent on what you see around you and what your environment is, and that's your family. Right. And if you're not doing the family work, nothing's really going to change. Exactly. And so that was kind of her theory was, you know, you can work with an individual to a certain point, but often you need to turn it into family therapy to kind of fix the roots. Now, if you're working with a full-on adult... I was going to say it's a bit easier with adults. Yeah. Yeah. If you're working with an adult, you can look back and see where the roots come from. And either you can work on the family... But honestly, by that point, sometimes it's it's a moot point because your family of origin is separate from you. Right. You can work on the family stuff in individual counseling right. by processing it. Right. But you, but, I don't know. But if you're working with a child or an adolescent, yeah, you quite gotta. often you need to pull the family in. Yeah. So, so let me talk to you a little bit about some of the, what she calls the communication stances that we learn as a child. And so if you are currently a child, which I hope none of you are children who are listening to our podcast, because that would, <laughs> that would no. be inappropriate. Oh, no. <laughs> If so, stop. Don't. Stop go to bed. <laughs> Do not listen to us drink alcoholic beverages. <laughs> but I think we can all kind of connect to one of these. So we've learned a communication stance as a child, especially when we feel threatened. I mean, it's overall, but it's specifically when we feel threatened. So the healthy one is congruent which means that we're able to acknowledge what we're thinking and we communicate that with the people around us and we're able to empathize with other people and what they're thinking. I'm doing my elbows thing again. Stop it. Sorry. (laughs) I have bony elbows. (laughs) I get excited. I start banging my elbows on the table. We need a pad. (laughs) A padded room. Okay. We put you in a straitjacket for the entirety of the podcast. I'll put my hands behind my back. Okay. Okay. You can do it just gent- gentle. Oh, here, do I'll hold put- my arms up again. Here, put podcast on in front of you. Come here, buddy. Come here. Come here. Be my elbow bulb. There you okay. go. Okay. People are thinking, what in the hell I'm is going cut on there? All of this shit. <laughs> You have a lot of editing to this do if you cut all There's going to be a lot out. on the cutting room floor. I don't think you should. I think people should know our authentic selves. That's fine. This is genuine. People like authentic, Anna. They like it that we're That's real. That's what we preach. Okay. So congruent means that you're healthy. You're in a good, healthy family environment where you can all communicate together. If you are a person who is a placator, you can imagine what that means. We ignore <laughs> our own feelings just 
to focus on others and to try to make everybody be okay. Placating means people pleasing. Absolutely. It's oh, We just want to keep okay, everybody we're to, happy. We're back to ASMR. We're, we're back, back to, to our quiet this voice. Is our, this is our, Shh, this is our Don't upset anybody. Voice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And honestly, a lot of us do that. That is, um, I would say that's probably the most So a common. therapist needs to work with a placator to get them to express their own feelings. Because it's not good to just stuff your own feelings. Because sometimes we have feelings and opinions that are going to make someone unhappy. And we that's need right. to be able to deal with that in a healthy, upfront way. Right. Instead of just like, oh, I can't say mm-hmm. that because it'll make someone upset. I mean, for me as a Catholic Christian, I know Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But sometimes you got to speak your feelings. You're also your a feelings. middle child, homeboy. <laughs> Yeah, I got a double whammy. Yeah. I do. So placator is the second kind of communication stance. The third kind is the opposite. It's the blamer stance. And those are the people who are like, they assert their own needs and blame other people. So if you are in therapy and you are a blamer, your therapist is going to try to help you to build empathy. Because mm-hmm. you need to stop blaming everybody else. Take responsibility. The responsibility thing is a big part. Absolutely. Yeah. The fourth kind, there's five altogether, by the way, if I didn't say that. Oh, okay. The fourth kind is the super reasonable. Do you I remember re- doing this in class? I, this is all, this is is all back taking now. me back. Yeah, that's what happened to me last night when I was doing my research. I was like, oh, crap. Started I'm back in class. PTSD yes. flashbacks to grad school. Trigger, trigger grad school. Okay. <laughs> Super reasonable. So like picture in your mind like the Spock kind of character where everything is black and white and you deny both the thoughts and the feelings of other people and you just deal with the environment and the context. That's all that matters. Everything yes. is rational. This is, I see this a lot too. I would say especially men do this, Mm -hmm. where you like back away from it entirely, look at it super logically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing to be able to look at something objectively. But when you do it so much that you're like blacking off your own emotions, that becomes unhealthy. Exactly. No emotion, no emotion. Everything is rational. We need to just solve this very logically. That's not realistic. That's called super reasonable Um, And so a therapist would work with you on getting in touch with your own emotions. Mm -hmm. And so the last one is called irrelevant communication stance. And these are the kind of people that when they're under stress, they distract. So like kind of like the class clown. No offense to my husband in heaven, but he was kind of this kind of person. (laughs) That when things got a little stressful, he would start to make jokes. Let's talk about something else. Oh, look at this thing over here, this shiny thing over here. And, And some of us do that to try to take the emphasis off off of the stressful moment we and distract these come out of fear i mean they mm-hmm. come out of fear of facing it and fear of hurting people and fear of getting in trouble i mean so these things i think come out of somewhere very childlike exactly so if you're working with an individual in therapy you you kind of come to the point where okay let's see what kind of communication stance you have and why did you have that in your family environment then if you have family therapy let me tell you about the six stages wait is there like a buzzfeed quiz i can take to figure out which kind i am (laughs) (laughs) which of these five hmm i would say i'm the placator i was just gonna say that but i didn't want to say that about me yeah oh about yourself who are you I'm the placator. Okay. I'm seriously the placator. Yeah. You're kind of, mm, I like to think you're the congruent. In our family I, I of origin. Too. I'm the yeah. three family of origin. We're like, pretty congruent as a family unit. Yeah. But I I would say also irrelevant. I can go there because I'm kind of class clowny. Uh, mm. I can kind of deflect with yeah. humor. Yeah. It's I'm, interesting. I'm full on placator. Tag us. I think. Hey, tweet us. Tag, yeah, tell, yeah, tag, tag us. who you are. Tell tag. us what you are. Yeah. 
Anna brought out a good point, though, that we can sometimes go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's probably healthier than being stuck in one. I guess. I think. Again, we always talk on our podcast about self-awareness. Right. So part of this is being self-aware and being... So if you know you're a placator and you do that too much, then you need to work a little bit on assertive your own feelings. If you know you're a blamer, you need to work on your empathy. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. Take responsibility. So the six stages of family therapy for the satire method. Satire. Sat- <laughs> the satire method. <laughs> Can we keep you that were- I think that should totally be the name of it. <laughs> you were really virgin on it. Satire. 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 I don't know how to say her Wait, name. Wait, one more big drink. Virginia, my dude. I'm Satire. really sorry. I just call her Virginia. Virginia. Gina. Gina. Oh. Okay. V. Hey, V. V, this is uh, your six stages of family therapy. The first stage is assessing the status quo. She used that term, the status quo. Like, what is the balance of your family? How does everybody get along? Where is everybody in your family in that communication stance? Like, who's in what role in your family? And we all have that in our families. We all have roles. We all have those things that we do to fit into the family status quo. And she checks out this homeostasis is another word she used a lot. Yeah, it's all coming back. Mm, It comes flooding back to us. The homeostasis is kind of how your family keeps everything in balance. Now, it might be a chaotic balance. Right. I mean, it might be somebody from the outside might come in and go, holy crap. But you're like, it works for us. Yeah. You're like, this is how we do it, you yeah. know? I'm the yeller, he's the one who placates, and sure. she's the one who makes jokes, and, and we always yell at this one person, he's our scapegoat. Mm. And even though it's not healthy, it is their homeostasis. Right. So first, the therapist kind of assesses all of that. And then the second stage is that they introduce a new element. The new element might just simply be a new way of communicating with each other. But what this does then is it upsets the homeostasis. So if you all of a sudden say, okay, now we're going to actually start to talk to each other, people freak out. You're like, I don't want to. Right. No. That's not what we do in our family. And so step three is chaos because that's what happens when you bring in a new element that upsets the homeostasis. And then the fourth one is integration, which is starting to learn how that's going to work now in our family. And five is practice. She was very big. And if you ever wa- if you do watch any of the videos on YouTube, you will see that she's very into role play. You, sh- you should. She, she enjoys the she role play. She makes everyone role play. <laughs> and she, she holds their hand while she does it. <laughs> she does. It's so weird. <laughs> so if you would go to a family therapist who's going to do the satire They might not method, hold your hand. <laughs> they probably won't hold your hand. But they might make you role play because yeah, that's part sure. of the practice. Right. So that's the practice. You know, practice. In the very least, they're going to have you practice communicating in a new way, which is maybe to to use I statements because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that satire theorists use but also other theorists use. And what's use. an I statement, Mom? An I statement is when instead of, of saying like, you always make me feel bad when you do this. That's a you statement. Yep. If instead I would say, I feel really sad when you go out every night. I wish you wouldn't do that. When we use the I statements, it puts the responsibility on our, us first of all, but also mm-hmm. it doesn't 
put the other person in a defensive position. Right. Because if we're saying you are making me feel sad, then the other person is automatically in a place where they have to defend themselves. Right. Which is natural. We want to defend ourselves. I mean, exactly. And we use I statements with couple therapy, with family therapy. That's a big, it's a big shtick. Mm -hmm. We do that a lot. And Satir would say that, because she always said, nobody else can control who I am or what I choose to be. She was huge in the you choose who you are and you have control over your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of that I statement thing too. You don't ever say, you make me feel sad. Instead you say, I feel sad when you do this. Right. So so I'm choosing to, you know, I'm I'm feeling sad because, you know, this is... It's a sneaky back way of It is kind of a sneaky back door, it really is. So that might be part of what you practice. That's stage five. And stage six then, praise the Lord, is a new status quo. So hopefully your family has transformed because remember she's the transformational see those quotes Mom floating is around doing air quotes like they're <laughs> doves flying in the air flying around saying flying around praise the lord Same. we have a new status quo this is one of our eight titles of therapy <laughs> so that's basically the stages that she has one of the techniques that she uses that is a pretty huge thing that kind of goes into other areas of therapy is the idea of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. When did we talk about the iceberg? Was that way back with oh, Freud? Oh, jeez. Yeah, because it was the it ego, super ego, right? Yeah. So Episode she, numero uno. You know. So she talked about the layers of the iceberg being behavior, which is what we see people do. And Anna referred to this earlier that, you know, the things that we see happening are not necessarily the problem. Mm-hmm. We see it as the problem. Right. You know, like your kid's acting out. Your kid's acting out at school. Right. So that's the behavior. That's the layer of the iceberg we can see. Sorry, I have wine Mom's burps. Burpy. <laughs> the second layer of the iceberg is coping, which we can also see, like how they're kind of dealing with things. But then we kind of go under the water and we have feelings, perceptions, expectations and yearnings yearnings Yearnings. even that word kind of makes you kind of i don't like that word (laughs) it is kind of a a creepy word word, isn't it it's a little weird yeah it sounds somehow uncomfortable yeah yeah but those are those things that we really want to happen so they would in in individual therapy they would go through those layers of the iceberg let me kind of flip-flop for a minute and talk about one of her, like, I'm just going to throw some words out. How's okay. that? Do Here's it. one. She was really big on the primary triad. She also called that <laughs> okay, the survival I that triad. Okay, I threw it at me and I caught it, but I'm looking at it very confused. The primary triad. Oh, wait. I read about this. You did. It's the the mother and father and child. Right, 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 right exactly. Where's the sticker? I want to get a sticker. And she said, you need a sticker. She's, she didn't say that, but I said that. And hey. So so basically she talked about how important it is the relationship between the mother and the father and the child, the triad. Now you can imagine, uh-oh, Anna's having sticker stickers. problems. You can imagine that when we get into oh. situations where there are divorce situations or, or alienation. Oh, do I get a sticker too? Yes, sticker. I You're thank doing you. so good. Thank you. Yes, I got sticker. a little owl sticker. And they Anna's, smell they smell good? They're scented. Oh my God. Oh my goodness, they really are. Okay. That is a happy, happy accident there, Bob Ross. No, I bought them because they were sent. <laughs> and they're very good. So you can imagine that that there are issues with that. 
But that was, I'm just kind of throwing out words now. Okay. Let me throw how, out. I'm sorry. For the primary triad, how does it work when there's more than one kid? Does e- Is there like a primary triad for each with kid? With each kid. Okay. Yes. And if there's not, then that's an issue, which you can imagine oh, there are. Sure. That, because in some families. Well, that's where the scapegoat comes uh-huh, from. Uh-huh. And or like if you imagine that a family has maybe a special needs child who gets mm. a, either special needs child or a child who's in trouble a lot mm-hmm. and they get more attention than the other kids. And so that becomes an issue. Yeah. So let's see here. What other role? Oh, let me throw this one out. I'm ready. She yeah. has these titles for the roles. Besides the placator and blamer thing, she also has these. Here's a whole separate roles of persons in a family. Are okay. you ready? Okay. The first one is martyr. Oh, pretty the sec- self-explained. Sorry. The second one is good child or good parent. That's one word, right? <laughs> good child. Good child. Or good parent. The third title is bad child. Ah, sure. And or bad parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The fourth title is victim. How is that different than martyr? Uh, I think I think that the victim doesn't choose to be the victim. The martyr chooses to be the martyr. They're like, here, I will take all of the problems. I will. But the victim. They're kind of like like the placator. Yeah, the victim would. Yeah, do these (laughs) what? What? My ears and my brain aren't working well. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Okay, so the fifth one's the rescuer. Do these have like? direct analogs to the other ones you talked about no it's like a whole separate remember when we Virginia, talked about what are you doing Virginia had this thing where she had all the theories i think she forgot that she had already, like already <laughs> made this as a theory and she's like oh i have a great idea and everyone's like v oh. v babe you already did this you already and she's like no martyrs and victims and good parents and they're like Ugh. Okay. I think that's totally how it happened. <laughs> like and when forgot. V talked, everybody was like, okay, okay, Dude, she was, fine. listen, that's I mean, fine. I would sit at her feet and learn, but I would, I would also be very uncomfortable because <laughs> she would like grab my head with both hands probably. <laughs> She's very touchy-feely. As, as I said, I would not want to get within like three, four feet of her because that's arm's reach. Right. So when we were watching one of the videos of Satir, she, uh, Anna said... It's a little too cardigan for me, <laughs> which I have to bring up because she is very, she is so humanistic and that's our reference to being a humanist. We should, we, uh, we, we should, talked about this in the, I feel we like did the round table. Before, I don't know but. if we talked about this in an episode. We had a, a, a grad school counselor who would call humanistic therapists like cardigan wearing humanists. Yes. And it was kind of a derogatory term where that like if you were too kind of I'll say touchy-feely, maybe yeah. not physically, but just kind of too... Just, hippy-dippy. Uh, hippy-dippy, yeah. all that <laughs> what, other, what other weird words can we use just, for it? Just yeah. one, you know, man. We're all just know, feeling. Just, we're feeling. We're just, let's talk about love and <laughs> therapy and feelings. Like, that's very cardigan. Right. And we kind of had accepted that as a, like... Hey, I bought a cool new cardigan today. We own today. that. Yeah, we, we own, own it. it. But there's some people who are just a little too cardigan. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I think V was one of them. V kind of stood on the line a little yeah. bit. She got a little carried away. At least in her older age, she did. She probably did. <laughs> was didn't. that it? This yeah, because the old. videos we watched, she was old. She was. She was 70s, I think. Yeah. And she died when she was, what, 70? 72. 72? Yeah. Didn't we see a video where she was 72? Yeah. Was that the year she died? Probably. God. Well, if she had pancreatic cancer, it probably came on her pretty quick. quick. Yeah. So the last thing that I would like to add, um, the last section, is about 
the way that V suggests that we be therapists, if we are going to be this type of, if we're going to use satire. The satire method. (laughs) Don't throw me (laughs) off now. I have to think satire. Okay, okay. The satire theory. Okay. Is that the, the number one thing is that we as therapists have to be in touch with our own life force. Sure. And we have to be totally empathetic. Okay. And be self-actualized to some degree. Sure. We know that that self-actualization actually never really happens. Yeah, that's hard. It's It's something we're always striving for. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we talk about self-awareness, when Ann and I throw out that every single podcast, that's kind of self-actualization is like the ultimate self-awareness. Listen to episode 24 for more on self-actualization. Thank you for referring to past... (laughs) Too past episodes. <laughs> Sometimes you just crack me up. Really? Because it sounded like you were in pain. And I feel like that's accurate too. Like, okay. I went through labor for this. I gave birth to this child. <laughs> Okay. He's brandishing <laughs> podcast not at me very <laughs> aggressively. I'm dancing with him so I don't bump my elbows. Okay. Okay. It's a good fidget. <laughs> so as as therapists, we need to be self-aware. We need to be in touch with the life force. Mm-hmm. We need to be very empathetic. That our presence is very important in the therapy process. That if a client does not feel comfortable with us, we're screwed. Nothing's going to happen. You mentioned this before that like as you're reading this stuff, even if we are kind of make it like Razner a little yeah, bit yeah. about her videos and saying she's a little too cardigan, the stuff she says we agree with. Right. Because I agree with all of that. I Absolutely. mean, uh, even if you don't really believe in like, I don't know, spiritual, however you conceive of that. Right. You do need to be self-aware because you can't really help people to be that without being it yourself to some extent. Exactly. So I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think the way she approached it was a little a little kooky, but I think the world needs kookiness to make it interesting kookiness too. Kookiness is kind of good. Yeah. Um, she, this goes along with the humanistic uh, theme, and that is that all people are innately good. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. a positive life energy at their core. Human beings are striving to be better. They're yearning to be complete. Um, all yearning. people yearning. <laughs> all, all people yearn. All, <laughs> all people. Sorry, all people. All people are desiring to be better people, basically. Sure. And then we have the oh, ability yeah. to change. That we have the capacity to change. Yeah. That's something that some people do not get. Right, right. They think that they can't. They think that they can't change. That's really sad. That's, I think, the saddest thing. I agree. I'm going to throw in one last thing about um, something that she specifically did in her counseling. It was called sculpting. Oh, yeah. Remember doing this in grad school? We, we, we actually physically did this. Yes. This is going to be a weird thing to introduce on, uh, a, on an, uh, on an on audio medium. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. It's also called spatial metaphor. Spatial metaphor. So what you do in family therapy is either the therapist does it or more likely one of the family members gets to arrange each family member's body into like a statue shape, you know, a... 
and uh, often tableau. They would, yes, it is a tableau. Mm-hmm. Often they would have multiple family members like switch off doing it. Right. Because then you get to see different. how it differs. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so like let's say you have a family of four, like parents and two children. Right. And so you say to the youngest one, okay, you're going to sculpt each of your family members. You're going to move them. They, it's like... You, you stand like your mannequins. Yes. And then one person can kind of control how you move and right. you. And they shape you like kind of store mannequin right. fashion. So let's say this kid looks at mom and says, you know, and is thinking to himself, mom always yells, mom's the blamer. So he puts the mom in a shape where she's like it's a real pointing. woke five-year-old. Sorry. She's like she, Mom's the blamer. She's, she's like pointing <laughs> she's, to, to someone. all the time. Yeah. She yeah. has a stance. Her hand's on her hip and her other fingers is like pointing and then you have to like stand in that position like a statue however the person puts you in that is so it's such oh. a visceral like very God, emotional is this how i appear to yeah people? exactly yeah it's it's really interesting to do it I, we i mean obviously when we did it we did it in our family we role-playing therapy yes. class so it's not like we were doing it within the context of our own family. I mean, mom right. and I were, but right. <laughs> but I honestly can't remember if we were in the same group. When we I don't think that. we were because um, I remember seeing you up there when so, I was sitting. But we just kind of had to role play as if right. we were in this family, and we would shape, we would sculpt the people. Right. But it's very, I mean, it to involve your whole body is very, very visceral. Right. I, I know I used that word before, but that's kind of the best that's word. Only, I have that's for the it. best word. For it's it. it's yeah. very. It involves like your whole. You have to face it. You right. can't avoid it. Right. It's very. And if your kid is forming you into a negative shape, yes, that would be yeah. Extremely How do emotional. you face that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So ideally, it is supposed to be emotional. It's yeah. supposed to like shake people awake to say, "Holy crap!" V wants crap. you to feel feelings. <laughs> v is like, if I can't be there to grab you, He's I like, at least like. <laughs> I want you to feel me I grabbing you. I want you to you. feel my clammy hand grab your clammy spirit hand. You don't know that she's clammy, in. At you some keep... point, the hands would become clammy. She she holds the hands throughout the entirety of a nine-minute YouTube video. At some point, it's clammy. Okay, all right. Mom I just will, tried to drink I, her I wine do it. three times. I can't. I'll snort it through my nose. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's called sculpting okay. or spatial metaphor. I really like that. I've never used that. Have you ever? I've never. I've done very few family therapies with more than like two or three kids. That's a so good point. I never usually you have, have to more have, than one kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to have several people to yeah. do that, I think. It would probably work with just two. Maybe. I mean, you could even maybe do it in couples counseling, but that would couples. be harsh. That would be interesting. Yeah, that would be, be rough. Because you'd have to sculpt your partner and then take your own position. And then go back to where yeah, you were. yeah. That would be weird, but I'm or you could have. I mean, I guess if you wanted the therapist to be involved, you could say like, move her arm up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you could have. Yeah. But I think there's something about the sculpting also. Like there's something therapeutic about the kid sculpting the mom into what he sees. Right. So I think that's a a part of it. I think that's a part of the process. And even the physical touch of grabbing that person's arm and putting it where it's supposed to be, because because you're saying like this is how I see. Right. Exactly. And V was very into touch, as we have referenced several times. She was she's, very into touch. She's grabbing. Do you feel a so hand she, grabbing your hand? That's Virginia. That's Virginia. That's Virginia. That's exactly right. So, okay, I think I'm about done. I think that's about it. I right. would say, I would say, you know, the heart of it is that Virginia believes again that we're all connected by the life energy, the life force, mm-hmm. and that the most important 
thing between a therapist and their client, whether it's just a single client or family, is that empathy and that that realness, that authenticity that right. we have. Right. Which is totally what we That's believe, us. Anna. Yeah. So yeah. So I will accept that I'm like her. I'm cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. I, listen. Maybe I, when I'm 70, I'll be that uh, hippy dippy. You never maybe, know. I'll be like up in people's faces. I think we do get more hippy dippy as we get older. <laughs> I've certainly gotten more hippy dippy. I think you have too. <laughs> you made me more hippy dippy. <laughs> Where did I get it from? <laughs> It's like this spiraling Because I went to a liberal arts college. That's right. Stupid liberal arts college. So Virginia Satir. Virginia Satir. The mother of family I, therapy. I do. It's This is not just a bit. Like, look her up on YouTube. And, oh, like, yeah. like, listen to her talk about some of her theories. It's really... I always think it's interesting to listen to the actual theorists talk about their theories. I agree. I think it gives a lot of context. It gives a lot of like how they feel about certain issues and like how they word. I mean, I love that you're listening to us and and we love that you're hearing us talk about this. But there's something really cool about hearing Virginia Satir talk about her own theories. Exactly. It's really cool. Yeah. Two thumbs up for V. Two thumbs up for V. I love that we're calling her V. (laughs) That's just... What I had in my notes. I didn't think it would fly. <laughs> it it flew. It flew. It has flown. I really don't think we can add much in terms of like, we've talked about self-awareness. No. Which is always our go-to. It's totally it. I guess this is where we end. We're good. We're good. We're good. Thanks, listeners. We're so glad you were with us for this podcast. Yes. We appreciate you joining us. We are grateful that you listen to us. We are. If we could sculpt you... <laughs> We would sculpt you in a hug motion, and then we would hug you. <laughs> you should be grateful we're not there with you right now, because we would be so Virginia satiring you. We would sculpt you. your hand, holding out your palm, and then we would grab your hand and keep it in our hands for eight minutes. Eight. Just right now, take a moment to thank God that we're not there with you. <laughs> Because it would be rough. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Join us next time. You can find us on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff. Freudian Sips Pod, our name on all of that stuff. Uh, You can go to our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. Like Mom said, that's the best place to find our merch store. Uh, There's a merch link right on the front page. So you can just click on that. Look at all our cool shirts. And if you get a t-shirt or something, take a picture and send it to please us, please. do. That's a great point. That would make point. us so happy. We would yes. be like happy for two days. Tweet us. Maybe three days. Uh, tag us on Instagram. Do anything. We would love, oh my God, we would die. Would, you would, we, we wouldn't would, die. We would record we would be our next episode and we would die on air. <laughs> no, we won't do that. We would that is not a promise. Make noises like we were dying. <laughs> That I we can promise. Be, I would we make will be noises. happy in our hippy dippy way yeah. that we are happy. Our cardigan hippy dippy way. <laughs> uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, and please do, please interact with us. Our email is freudiansipspod at gmail.com. We are on Patreon, Freudian Sips Pod, as well. Please, like Mom said earlier in the episode, remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. Please send us a screenshot and your address, and we will send you a free sticker. It will be delightful. They're delightful stickers. We have them in our possession. They're super cool. They're cool. They are really cool. So please send us an email that shows you reviewed us. We will reward you dearly. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. (laughs) 